question that we're going to talk about uh, this morning is really a question that uh, I think started all of this conversation. Because I was having a conversation with a friend, and I was out in front of their, uh, their driveway, and the conversation uh, just led to this person asking a question. And they said this, they said, if, if the church ever uh, does a series where they just answer questions, this is the question that I have. I'm like, all right. And the question is this, does someone who commits suicide go to hell? And this person was asking this question, and, and I typed that question in the Slido poll uh, when we first shared about that, and I'm like, we'll see if this one gets bumped up or not, but quickly it got bumped up. And so that was the question that, that kind of launched this, this conversation of how do we equip one another? How do we, we talk about this so that all of us are equipped to, to have those conversations as they come up in our community? And another question that came along with that was, how do I or can I end internal pain? And as I think about these questions, as I, as I thought about them and, and listened to the people that were talking, it really isn't, more, isn't just a question that needs an answer. Or some theological answer. What is the answer to that question? But this question actually is very real, very personal. Because I know there are people in this room, people here today, that wrestle with internal pain. That have had thoughts of, of committing suicide. That have contemplated suicide. That, that may even have a plan right now in this, today as you come into this room. There are those who struggled with depression and, and wondering, will things ever get better? And there's just a weight that you're feeling, a burden that is absolutely heavy. And in Ottawa County, there's a statistic that was shared with me that five out of 25 students in our schools, in our high schools, five of them out of 25 have contemplated suicide. And two of the five actually have tried one or more times. I mean, the statistics in this area are, are absolutely crazy. And actually, if you think about it on a nationwide uh, standpoint, for the first time in 60 years, our life expectancy rate has dropped solely because of the increase in suicide. I go back a couple years, and these statistics are, are fine and they're good, but I go back a couple years to a conversation that I had with a friend who moved up from Chicago. And he moved up here, and he was uh, ministering to teenagers, and he looked at me, and he goes, Dave, what is it with this area? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, Chicago has its own problems and its own you know, issues, but there is just a darkness over West Michigan. There's a darkness over this area, and I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with young people about them, and they, they're contemplating suicide. He's like, what is going on? I mean, for, the, for many in this room, this question is real because you have struggled with depression uh, and struggled with, with thoughts in your mind, thoughts of anxiety, ha heaviness, a weight. But some of you, for this, is, this question is really real because you know people who have completed suicide. You have a, a friend, a loved one, someone really close to you who has died. And as I started to, to talk with people about this question, the number of stories that came up were absolutely mind-blowing. I was so taken back by the stories that people shared, and I'm going to share a couple of them this morning. People in part of our body, people a part of the Moran Park body that have felt this way, that have gone through just the darkness and the pain of tragic loss when somebody close to them completed suicide. 
And so these questions of, does somebody who commits suicide end up in hell, or how do I end internal pain? These are big questions because we're carrying these around, wondering, is there any relief? Is there any hope? Will things ever get better? And even how do I walk with somebody who is contemplating suicide or know somebody who has completed suicide? How do we walk along so many in this community that are hurting and weighed down? I want to start with a definition of suicide that I found extremely helpful, and it's up on the screen. Suicide is a desperate attempt to escape suffering that has become unbearable. Suicide is a desperate attempt to escape suffering that has become unbearable. It's suffering that consumes someone's thoughts, so much so that they're unable to think of anything else. And when it comes to this unbearable suffering, this this suffering that is weighing a person down, it can be so different from person to person. And that's why even talking about this subject, approaching this subject, we have to do so with sensitivity because the suffering is complex. In our community alone, there are many that, have, that are under unbearable suffering because of trauma that they've experienced. There are many that, are, that have been physically, emotionally, or sexually abused. There are those in our community that have been raped, bullied, Maybe experienced a loss of a loved one or maybe even gone through a divorce themselves or divorce of parents. And they're under this, this weight and they carry this around every single day and maybe they experience violence in the home. And maybe they experienced some of these as th- when they were a child. And as a child, they're learning, how do I process this? How do I process the brokenness that I, I see? For some, these thoughts of suicide, contemplating suicide, is a result of suffering me- mental illness having bipolar or depression. For some that I've talked to, the thing that led them to contemplate suicide was this internal pain that they experienced that came from knowing that they caused somebody else great harm. And so they looked at me and they said, Dave, why do I keep on living? There's heaviness. For some, it's this fear of rejection that leads them to carry around so much pain and suffering, a fear of rejection. If I share really what's going on, if I share some of these traumatic events in my life, will people reject me? Will they accept me? How will they respond? Will they look at me like I'm weird? What will they say? What will they do? And another thing that produces suffering in our community, specifically amongst young people, is the pressure that we heap on their shoulders. The pressure that they have to succeed in school, succeed in life, make college decisions, friendships, juggle all of that while appearing to make sure everything looks good on social media. Or they have all of these pressures, these expectations that they feel, and then they look at pictures that other people post and they say, well, their life is perfect, why, my life, why is my life not perfect? There's so many things that cause suffering. This unbearable suffering. But at the end of the day, I want to say that there's a source that is at the very foundation of all the suffering. This world is broken. This world is not the way that God intended it to be. And there is one that is unleashing havoc and harm in our world. One who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And here's the thing that I've learned to hate more about the enemy than ever before. It's when people are down, when people are weak, when they're going through difficult times, that seems to be when he just heaps it on. We have to remember that our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but it's against the principalities and powers of this dark world. 1 Peter 5 says it this way, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. 
He prowls around like a roaring lion. Last week, Britton talked about the fact that there's a kingdom of heaven and a kingdom of darkness. And this morning, I want to remind us of who is in charge of the kingdom of darkness and what is the fruit of the kingdom of darkness. Revelation 12, verse 10 says this. It kind of exposes the nature of the enemy. Revelation 12, 10 says this. Now, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down. That's good news. But look at the next line. It says, but he accuses them day and night before our God. We have the one who is reigning in the kingdom of darkness who is an accuser. Who wants to accuse you day and night. To get you to think things that aren't true. Think things that are false. Accuse you. You did this. You did that. He is one that is going to accuse you day and night. And then John 8 says this. Jesus is saying this, and he's saying this about the devil. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. A murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That is what we're up against. That is the one who is, is reigning in the kingdom of darkness. And we see the fruit of that in the brokenness of this world. And as we read scripture, there is a story in the Old Testament, a story of Job. And it's an interesting story. And I always get a little, um, I always have questions about chapter one when it starts. Because here is Job. Here's a man who is faithful, who is righteous, who is a follower of God. And Satan comes to God. And God says, what have you been doing? And he's like, I've been going here and there, wreaking havoc on people's lives. And God says, have you ever considered my servant Job? Which that just poses a bunch of questions that maybe we'll answer at another time. And Satan's like, no, because you have a hedge, you're protecting him. Well, then God says, okay, go ahead and have your way with, with Job, except don't take his life. And what we see unleashed in Job's life is his possessions and his his family all of them are wiped out. And then eventually Job gets sick. And I paint that picture just to demonstrate that the brokenness in this world is caused by an enemy who wants to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. Last week I saw this in full view. When on a Saturday night at the middle school camp, we just felt this, this feeling just to call out darkness and brokenness that we see kids experiencing. And a friend of mine, Nick, just stood up and he goes, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of seeing just people just weighed down, middle school students weighed down by the brokenness of this world. And he just said, I'm sick of it. And if you look at yourself in the mirror and you you don't like how you look, if you're you're worried about your parents ending up in a divorce because of the argument, the arguments that you constantly hear, just come forward and we want to pray for you. And tons of students came forward experiencing brokenness. We prayed for them. We prayed, we prayed that God would break through in powerful ways. But it just was a reminder that this world is broken, that we're experiencing brokenness, brokenness on a regular basis. And I just share that. I share the, 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 the weight of that. Because I want us to take this seriously. When we answer questions about, does someone who commits suicide end up in hell? Or how do we deal with internal pain? These aren't just little questions to answer. These are real people's lives. And as I've been talking with individuals, I am so amazed at the people that God has brought to Moran Park because they've shared some things with me that I'm going to share with you this morning. And so this morning, as we answer these questions, these two questions, I want to share three thoughts that people have 
that lead them to contemplate suicide. Three thoughts that people have, three lies that they believe that, co- that lead them to contemplate suicide. And the first one is this. No one cares. No one cares. Or more specifically, no one really cares enough to let me share what's really going on inside. There's a person in our community named Gina. And in eighth grade, her parents got divorced. She was the only one at home. Her two older brothers were in college. And so in eighth grade, she was in the middle between a mom and a dad who were fighting. And she would go from one house to the next carrying letters back and forth. Letters from dad to mom about things that mom did wrong. Letters from mom to dad about things that dad did wrong. And as an eighth grader, she was caught in the middle of this horrible brokenness. And as the years went on, she started to self-harm herself. And she got to this place when she was in high school and she wondered, does anybody really care enough to know what's really going on deep inside? She shared with me that this is how she felt and she shared this poem with me that best articulates how she felt when she hit her lowest point. And this poem is up on the screen. It says, when I hit rock bottom... that exists after the rock bottom, and no rope or hand appeared, I wondered what if nothing wants me because I do not want me. She felt that there was no rope or no hand there to help her. And that led her to think that suicide was her only option. I can't tell people around me because what will they say? I'm surrounded by people, but I feel all alone. So often people who contemplate suicide, they think no one cares or no one cares enough to allow me to really share what's going on. And they even sometimes wonder, does God care? Which leads that to them to that question, if you commit suicide, you end up in hell. I mean, that is a big question. And I will say this, I will speak clearly on this, that suicide is a sin because murder is a sin. But suicide is not the unforgivable sin. Matthew 12, the words of Jesus, he said this, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. The thing that this question reveals is this this messed up view that we have that when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to a relationship with Jesus, it's this works righteousness, that if we do this, then we will be forgiven. If we say this, then we will be made righteous. But the very foundation of our faith is this truth from Ephesians 2, that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And that it is not ourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that anyone can boast. I believe that if you have a family member or a friend who is walking through a very dark time, a very dark time, and in a moment of weakness gave in to the sin of suicide, and uh, if they were a follower of Jesus and believed with their whole heart, I believe they are in heaven because of the cross of Jesus Christ. I believe they are in heaven reigning and ruling with Jesus because of what he accomplished on the cross. See, our grace, our forgiveness is not based on the fact of our last moment in life being triumphant or being tragic. It is solely based on the cross of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Now, you might be thinking, well, Dave, you just gave permission to those who are here today who have a plan to go ahead and enact it. I would say this. Let's read verse 10 of Ephesians 2 goes on to say, for you are God's workmanship. You are God's, actually the word there stands for poem. You are God's poem. 
recreated or created in Christ Jesus for good works. And we must remember as followers of Jesus, if as we struggle, as we have thoughts and that lead us to contemplate suicide, we must remember that our life is not our own, but that we were purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ, that we are purchased to live a life that displays his glory and his wonder to the world. God cares for you, so much so that he would rescue you through his son, Jesus. But I also want you to know that if you're here today and if you're wrestling with thoughts, dark thoughts, I want you to know that God cares. 1 Peter 5 says this, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. We have a God who cares. In the Old Testament, there was a man named Elijah who was a mighty man of faith. And one time he was surrounded by many prophets of, of Baal. And they had this little uh, exchange where they were at a competition where they said, okay, if you, we're going to have this altar, and you set up an altar, and whichever God lights the altar on fire first, that'll be the God that we worship. And so the prophets of Baal, they're praying, they're crying out to their false God, light this altar, light this altar on fire, and nothing happens. And even Elijah is making fun of them a little bit. It's like, where is your God gone? Is he on vacation? Is he in the bathroom? What is he doing? And he prays, and he douses his altar with with water. And he prays to God, and then boom, all of a sudden, this altar is lit on fire. I mean, this huge, miraculous display of faith where he saw God work in a powerful way. But then you go to 1 Kings 19, and how do we see Elijah? Elijah is at the end of his rope. Here is this man of great faith, and then all of a sudden, he's at the end of his rope because people are looking to kill him. And he cries out to God, and he says, just take my life. Take my life right now. And God sends him an angel to minister to him, and eventually God speaks to him in a gentle whisper. That, to me, is a reminder that we have a God who is not distant, but is close, who comes to us in moments of brokenness and weariness. But there's another verse that I want to point to this morning that is powerful for us as followers of Jesus, and it's Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 19. As followers of Jesus, this is, this is how much God cares for us. It says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of our faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure heart. Because of Jesus, because of what he accomplished on the cross, we can boldly enter the throne room of God our Father with confidence, with a true heart, it says, with a true and sincere heart. I don't know about you, but that gives me so much confidence when I have dark thoughts in my mind, when I have things that I'm thinking. I can go right into the throne room of God. And God doesn't want me to be fake. God doesn't want me to sugarcoat anything, but he wants to pour out my heart to him. Why? Because he wants to be my refuge. He wants to be my fortress. He wants to be my salvation in those dark moments. He wants me to pour out my heart to him in realness because he cares. We have a father who cares. As a dad, as my kids come to him, I don't want them to sugarcoat anything when, it's, when there's something wrong. I want them just to be like, boom, here it is. And I... In a far from perfect father. How much more do we have a perfect father who wants us to pour out his heart, pour out our hearts to him because he cares for us desperately. We have a God who cares. 
We have a God who sees. We have a God who knows. A God who is active in our lives. I share the story of Gina, and she shared with me when she attempted suicide. There was a moment when she just was at rock bottom. And she cried out to God, and she said, God, if you're real, I want to hear from you. And it was in that moment that she shared with me, it was in that moment that she felt a peace, that she felt God touch her in a miraculous way. And then she passed out and was later treated in the hospital. I shared that story with a counselor friend of mine, and she said, you would be amazed the number of times that I hear that story. God coming and meeting with people when they're at their lowest. We have a God who cares. But the biggest thing, the biggest thing that I think people want the answer to is not does God care. I sometimes believe that they think that God cares, that, that in their heart they're like, okay, God, God, you do care. But they're wondering this question, does anybody care? What about people? Do they care? Do they care enough for me to get involved in my life. I was talking with the people over at Ottawa County Health Department, and they said this, and this is up on the screen. They said, when it comes to suicide, one of the biggest ways to combat suicide is through relationships. Let that sink in. One of the biggest ways to combat suicide is through relationships. They did not say through counseling. They did not say first a different way. I believe I'll get to counseling. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But they said one of the biggest ways to combat suicide is through relationships. And when I was asking the person who was on the phone with, I said, what would you have me say to the church? They would say, get, they said this, get involved in somebody else's life. And really when I heard that, I heard this, they want the church to be the church. They want followers of Jesus to, to be followers of Jesus, to do what Jesus told us to do. Look at, look at Luke chapter 10. This is a, a famous story. It's a story of the Good Samaritan. And this man comes to Jesus and he says, you know, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus launches into this story of the Good Samaritan where he shares, you know, that a, that a, a priest went down this road and he saw this man who had been beat up and he passed by on the other side and a Levite passed by on the other side. And then it gets to this, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, You go and do likewise. I'm wondering what would it look like for us, church, to be like the Good Samaritan. Like someone who, who instead of walking around to the side or to the left or to the right, instead of stepping over people when we see them broken down and beat up, if we care enough and are moved, enough, moved with enough compassion to stop and to invite them into our lives. Do we take the time to when we notice those who are hurting, do we invite them into our lives? Do we, do we get to know them? Are we willing to stop instead of pass by? And when I was thinking of this, I was like, well, we can't do this for everybody. We can't do this for every person that we come in contact with. But then I felt the Lord put on my heart, well, you could do it for one, which you wish you could do for everyone. Are we too busy to stop 
Are we too busy going about our lives doing this or that, that it prevents us from noticing and it prevents us from stopping? But then I was thinking, the good Samaritan, he saw the man who was, was beat up and left for dead along the road, and he came by and he, he bandaged up their wounds, his wounds. What does that look like, though, for someone when their wounds are internal? When their wounds are something that they're thinking? And I would say this. It starts with asking questions. It starts with when you notice somebody, when you invite them into their, your life, ask them questions. See, there is this myth out there that says if you bring up the topic of suicide, it's going to put the idea in somebody's mind. And that is absolutely false. They already have the thought in their mind. You will never plant the idea in their mind by bringing it up. Here's the thing, though. Not talking about it gives it more power than it deserves. People want to have conversations about what's going on in their lives. And in West Michigan, we can be so bad at this. We can talk about sports. We can talk about the weather. We can talk about so many different things. But are we willing to ask the questions of people? How are you doing? How can I help you? What do you need from me? I see this is going on. I see that there's brokenness and weariness all around you. How are you doing? How can I help? And then ask, actually, after we ask them, then we need to be bold enough just to shut up and listen. Do you see what the Samaritan did? All of a sudden, when he came up to the, the guy who was beat up on the side of the road, he didn't start offering advice. He didn't start saying, like, why did you go down this road? Don't you know that there are robbers down there? Why did you go by yourself? What were you doing? No, he took care of them. And when it comes to somebody pouring out their hearts to us, are we willing just to listen? And at the appropriate time, speak words of life into their life. And words of life, words of, of truth, and not spiritual platitudes, just like, hey, give it to God. No, but look at them and say, no, you are loved, you are cherished, you are precious. I see you. This is what Gina was sharing with me. She's like, this is what helped her in her life. She had a woman in her life named Jen come alongside of her and said, hey, I'm going to the, the store, do you want to come with me? And they went to the grocery store and went grocery shopping and, and just went through life together. Asked questions as they were grocery shopping. This is not difficult stuff. It's inviting people into your life. And she also said at the end of every conversation, she looked at her and said, you are beautiful, you are valued, you are loved. But then also, let's never underestimate the power of prayer in that situation. Prayer demonstrates that you care, but also there's power in prayer, power for God to move powerfully in an individual's life. And then out of that, out of that conversation, out of that relationship, then you can say, you know what? I see that you're going through this or that. Have you ever considered counseling? Let me call a counselor for you. Let me help you. Let me help you get you there. There is this lie, there's this thought that people are believing that no one cares, and I think it's a call to the church that we need to step up and be the church, be the body of Christ in this community, a community that is filled with those who are struggling, and get involved in people's lives, because they want to know, does anybody care? And they may believe that God cares, but they want to see that you care, and I care. Are we willing to take that step and get into the mess of people's lives? Here's the second thing that people think, the second lie that they believe is this, suicide is the only way to end the pain. They don't think that there's any other option. Suicide is the only way to end the pain. And I would say this, suicide doesn't end the pain. Instead, suicide transfers and magnifies the pain to your family and your friends. Spreads it out. 
shares it with everyone you love. And when you look at suicide notes, either online or hear that people have written suicide notes, the number one thing that they share is they want to know that their family and friends love them. But I would say this, that is one of the most, one of the worst ways that you can communicate love to your family. That love takes a lifetime to tell, to show, to communicate. The greatest way you can display your love for your family and your friends is to choose to live another day. There's a letter that I read from a mom whose son completed suicide. It said this, she said this, Every day I live with feelings of devastation, emptiness, awkwardness around others. I live with regret and the fear of something happening to another loved one. I'm also angry at my son for not receiving the love that was extended to him. And year after year after year, I face every holiday and every family celebration knowing they will be incomplete because he's not there. A couple weeks ago, I was down in the basement of the church and I ran into a couple from Moran here. And I shared with this person, I said, in a couple weeks we're talking about suicide and she said do you know when I was in high school my father completed completed suicide and she said my life as a high school student wasn't filled with like it was suicide wasn't a common conversation it was a constant conversation because of what her father was going through and she said when he completed suicide the questions filled her mind she said, what are my dad's final thoughts? What were they? What ultimately made him give up hope? Was there anything that I could have done? Why did he do it? And there's a community, because we, we read the news, we hear about stories, there's a community of people in our town who know a loved one, who have had a friend complete suicide, and they're walking around with these questions. This pain, this brokenness that they're feeling. And again, I would look to us, church, and say, what is our role in that? And then I look to Jesus and, and want to model the way that he lived his life, that he left the glory of heaven behind and was willing to get into the mess of our lives. Are we willing to get into the mess of other people's lives? And are we willing to get into the mess of their lives and just really sit and cry with them? Because people don't need another voice saying, well, is this or that, or trying to explain it away. They don't remember things that people say, but they remember the people that entered the mess of their lives and were willing to sit with them in the midst of it. Are we willing to do that as a church? Are we willing to do that as people are weighed down by this pain? This person, part of our community, Sharon Newhouse, she shared this with me. She went on to share about how people gathered around her. She had a youth leader speak life into her. She had people come into her life and, and journey with her, and she said this, youth leaders that encouraged her to take her confusion to God helped her remarkably. There was a, a person in her life who said, he encouraged her to be real with God, to bring those difficult questions to God. And there was a great counselor that entered her life to help her find her identity in Christ. And she said this, in time, in time, it was 12 years ago, in time, God brought about healing and purpose and has given her a passion to help other people find their identity in Christ. See, people can experience this pain. There's, they're going through this darkness, this heaviness. But in the midst of that, while God did not cause it, he will use it for his glory. He will be at work in people's lives. And so as we journey with people who have gone through the, the pain of suicide, who have, who have a friend or family member who have completed suicide, we have an opportunity to walk beside them and see God bring his redemptive purposes into it. 
And now she is sharing hope and healing with people that she comes across with, people who are wrestling with the same thoughts that her dad wrestled with. But the last lie that people believe or people will think is it will always be this way. There's feelings of hopelessness, that things won't change. I will always wrestle with this internal pain. I will always have this. And as before I get to answering that thought, I want you to know if you are here today and if you have wrestled with internal pain, if you have feelings of hopelessness, feelings of depression, I want you to know that you are not alone. You are not alone in that. Many people experience the same thing. People go through this. People experience the same darkness and same heaviness. And actually, as we look at Scripture, there's numerous people throughout Scripture that experience this darkness and heaviness. And some would even say, well, just, you know, work on your relationship with God and then all of this stuff will take care of itself. And I think that is insensitive. Because you can have a right relationship with God and still be tormented by the enemy who wants to bring dark thoughts into your mind. If you're dealing with pain here this morning, I want you to know that you are not alone. I also want you to know that your pain is real. We believe your pain is real because there's this stigma around our culture, especially our community, that mental illness really isn't illness. But I would declare today that it is illness. Science is showing that there are things in the brain that aren't matched up that produce mental illness. And individuals. We have to end this stigma that, that mental illness really isn't real. No, it's absolutely real. It is just as real as physical illness. And if somebody was sick along the side of the road or sick with, with cancer, we'd be like, you got to get help. We need to come alongside you and encourage you and support you and get you the help that you need. If we would do that with physical illness, why don't we do that with mental illness? Because there is hope. There is hope. And so if you are here today and you're wrestling with mental illness, you're wrestling with, with feelings of depression and darkness. The thing that I would tell you first, the thing that I would encourage you first to do is to be real, to share that with somebody. Share that with somebody here today because we do care. I care, Britain cares, staff cares. We all care. Share that with us. And if one person shares today, then this is all worth it. If one person shares, you know what, I'm not okay, it is all worth it. I want you to know that there's hope today, but you need to share, I am not doing well. But secondly, I would say there are a couple different roads you could go down. Yes, I believe that there's things physically that could help a person when they're contemplating suicide or struggling with internal pain. And I would encourage you to explore those routes. To get medication if you need medication. To go to a counselor if you need to go to a counselor. I believe those are two great opportunities. But I would say I can only speak from the area that I somewhat understand, and that's the spiritual area. Pursue hope spiritually. There is power in knowing the word because you will be accused day and night. You have thoughts, dark thoughts enter your mind. That is why you need to anchor your life on truth. That's why you need to, to, to seep your life into what God says about you. That because of what Jesus did, you are righteous, you are accepted, you are loved, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. We need to have those thoughts replayed over and over and over in our minds. That's why we created this little card full of promises for you. Stick that in your Bible. Stick that in your car. Remind yourself of the power of God's word. And if you are not doing anything this afternoon, go to Stacy's training. Learn how to feed yourself. Be equipped with how to feed yourself with, with reading God's word. There's power in God's word, power in the, what this says about you. There's also power in worship. 
no matter what goes through your life, goes on in your life, there is power when we just simply declare the goodness of God, the absolute goodness of God. I love the story in Acts chapter 16. Peter and Silas are in prison. There's shackles around their ankles and in their hands. They're being beaten. And at midnight, we see that they're singing, that they're worshiping. And what happens out of that? Their chains are broken. They're released. They're set free. And it's a reminder that we can either allow our chains to break our worship or we can allow our worship to break our chains. That we, through our worship, can powerfully declare the goodness of God and shackles will be released. There is power in worship, power in declaring. But there's also power in just pursuing life, pursuing Jesus. It's one of the things that Gina shared with me. She said when she, after she had attempted suicide, she stopped pursuing things of death and pursued life and pursued Jesus. And I want to end with this psalm, Psalm 40. Because there is hope today. There is hope. Yes, this world is dark. This world is filled with brokenness. But I want to remind us of the power of the God that we serve. The one that we worship. These are the words of David, and he said this in Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord. David experienced a lot of darkness in his life. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he, the Lord, inclined to me. He turned to me, and he heard my cry. What a powerful promise. God hears your cry. God turns towards you. As you cry out to the Lord, God turns towards you. We have a God who moves towards us. And then this, he drew me up from the pit of destruction. He lifted me up out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. We have a God who draws us up, who lifts us up from the pit, who lifts lifts us up from destruction. This is what we see throughout Scripture, a God who lifts us up out of brokenness, a God who runs to us, a God who hears. And I don't know how God is going to do it in your life. It might be through physical exercise and medication. It might be through a counselor. It might be through miraculously. I would encourage you to explore all of those different avenues. But we have a God who comes to the rescue over and over and over again in Scripture. He hears people's distress, and he comes and he rescues them. We have a God who wants to deliver, a God who wants to heal, a God who wants to give us hope in desperate situations. But then it says this, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. He put a new song in my mouth, which means there was an old song that was in his mouth. And I wonder what new song does God want to put in your mouth today? We can go around singing songs of darkness and defeat and be weighed down, or we can have God put a new song in our heart and have our song be one of life-giving and praise, one that is focused on Jesus. See, today, if you're here with a plan or contemplating suicide, or maybe you know somebody who has completed suicide and you are overwhelmed with grief, Our prayer, my prayer, is that the kingdom of God would come crashing into your life. That light would enter the darkness. And so I would love to have our prayer teams come forward right now. And they're ready to pray for you. They're going to be up front here. They're going to be in the back, in the narthex area. They're going to be upstairs in the balcony. If you are here today, and your mind is filled with dark thoughts, Or, like I said, maybe you have a plan. 
I want you to know, first of all, that God cares. Secondly, that we cares. And I would invite you to come forward. No one is going to be looking at you and saying, oh, what's going on with that person? No, they're going to be praying for you. They're going to be so excited that you're moving forward. But I also want to be a place where we connect you with help. A place where you know that there are other people that have journeyed the road that maybe you are journeying on now. Journeying, journeying on now. And I want to highlight the one person that I mentioned is Gina. Where is Gina at? There she is. Gina is the one that I met with that in high school attempted suicide. And God spoke to her. And now she's here ready to pray for people. That's a testimony to God's goodness and faithfulness. The other person who had, Sharon Newhouse, is she here? She was at a wedding late last night. She's the one who's, who had her father complete suicide when she was in high school. And she's willing to talk with people as well. But we also have Jeanette Smith up here, and she is a counselor and willing to talk with people. But our prayer teams are available, and we believe that God wants to move powerfully in our lives, in people's lives. Setting the captives free, setting those who have wrestled with things for years, seeing them set free. And so I'm going to have Daniel come on up and, and lead us into a time of worship. As we sing, and if you feel led to come forward, I encourage you to come forward and receive prayer. But I want to pray for us. God, I thank you for the hope that we have in you. God, as I, I think about the brokenness that so many carry, the weight that so many feel, God, my heart breaks. My heart grieves for them. And I know that this is not the way that you intended it to be. This is not what you want to see them go through. So God, I ask in the name of Jesus that those who are here this morning that are weighed down by, by the weight of darkness, of just the enemy that has unleashed havoc on their life, God, I pray that in the name of Jesus that they would be set free today. That today would be a huge moment in their life where they can look back and say, February 10th, things changed. Things all of a sudden took a different turn. And instead of pursuing death, instead of pursuing darkness, I pursued life and wholeness and healing and ultimately your son, Jesus. We speak against the darkness and the enemy. Command them to go in Jesus' name. Hopelessness to go in Jesus' name. I ask, Lord, that, that there are, studies have shown, God, that there are things that just aren't connected in people's minds that produce mental illness. But we believe, Jesus, that you can heal. So I'm asking, Jesus, to, for you to heal powerfully. But I'm also asking that you would give people just the endurance to continue to seek after you, even when things might not be, seem to be you know, being answered. God, would you give them the endurance, the perseverance to pursue you in every season of life? And I ask, Lord, for us as a community that we would be a community that cares, a community that grieves, a community that moves with compassion towards those who are broken. God, would you give us your heart? Would you give us your eyes? Ultimately, we just ask, Lord, that your kingdom would come in powerful ways.
here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.